Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. We read in Song of Solomon where it mentioned we got to take care of the little foxes in our vineyard. And that's really when we go through these things and we're talking about the principles of marriage and discussing biblical marriage, that's part of what we're trying to do. We're trying to take care of the foxes. We're trying to wreck our vineyard because they can sneak in. And our marriages are tender like grapes, tender grapes. And so we want to make sure we protect them. So we're going to finish up today in Ephesians chapter 5. And Paul's been instructing both husbands and wives on what their role is in marriage. God gives husbands and wives clear roles in the marriage relationship, and we've been studying them. First off, he says, wives, place yourself under your husband's leadership. Husbands, love your wives like Jesus loves the church. And in the midst of both of those commands, he explains, submit unto Christ even as unto the Lord. In both those commands, he describes or paints a picture of the marriage relationship by showing how it reflects the relationship Jesus has to the church, to us, to his bride. And the reason he makes that comparison is because marriage is to be a picture of that relationship, and therefore our marriages are to be one of the ways we shine something radically different in a very dark world. And so Paul, in these last few verses here in Ephesians 5, he returns to that concept of Christ and the church to close out his teaching on marriage, reminding us of the serious responsibility every married Christian has to embrace a worthy view of marriage. So chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 25. We'll pick up our study in verse 30. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones." And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. He starts out for this word for. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. The four there, it means because husbands need to nourish and cherish their wives like their own body, because husbands are connected to their wives just as much as they are to their own body, he says those things are true because marriage reflects Jesus' relationship with the church. Verse 30 explains our relationship with Christ. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and his bones. Every individual person who is in Christ are, it means to continually exist as something. We are always, we continually exist as Jesus' flesh, his body, his flesh, and of his bones. Now, if that triggers something in your memory, it causes you to think of something, that's because it should. Paul's going to quote it in a second. But it's supposed to remind us, hey, Adam used those words at the first wedding ceremony in the Garden of Eden. And when we go back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, when we see this wedding ceremony occur and the commentary that's there afterwards, we see that God made a woman and brought her unto man, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 
by him bringing up that we are Jesus's body, we are of his flesh and of his bones, he's reminding us of that first marriage back in the garden. He's reminding us of what Adam said way back there. Now, why is it so important to reflect on what Adam said back in Genesis 2.23? Because when God presented Eve to Adam, Adam could have said anything else. Adam could have said no. Adam could have said, I'm not ready yet. Adam could have said, I don't understand what's going on. Adam could have said, I wanted a brunette. Adam could have said, wow, they laughed much harder for that first service. (laughs) Adam could have said all sorts of things. But he said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Instead, Adam said, something will be different from this moment forward. Adam wasn't saying, oh, hey, I recognize you. You used to be one of my ribs. No. He wasn't saying, oh, my rib is coming back to me. No. He was saying that something new has taken place that now changes this thing that was. You see, up to that point, God had been bringing all sorts of animals up to Adam. And so he would see a pair of hippopotamus go by and he'd go, nope, that's a hippo. That's not for me. He'd see an elephant. Nope that's a hippo. That is a platypus. Definitely not for me. He would see all these animals coming by and know nothing that was a suitable companion for him. But when God presents Eve to him, he goes, this is now, now, now we're talking. And I I accept her. This is how it should be. This is, she, she is presented to me and I say to this, yes. I say yes to this. I accept her and we are now united as one. It has nothing to do with the fact that she came out of him. She gets her name because she came out of him. He gives her the name after he says those words. Then he says, and she shall be called woman. I gave all these other names to animals, but she's going to have a unique name because she is like me. But that has nothing to do with this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. That is his acceptance of her, that they would now be united as husband and wife because that's the commentary we get afterwards. Paul is saying here, by explaining that we are members of Christ and then using verbiage that reminds us of Genesis 2.23, Paul is saying here that we were, when we repented of our sins and placed our trust in Christ, that that's what Jesus said to us. That he said to us, and we said, Lord, I'm lost. I have violated your law. I fall short of your glory, and I know judgment. I deserve it, but I believe you died on the cross for my sins, and I want to follow you, and so I put my trust in you, and I give you my life. All my hope is in the cross. And when we said that, and Jesus said, yes, I take you as my own. I take you as my own, and from now on, you will be my bride. In the same way that God did something supernatural to make Adam and Eve one flesh, God does something supernatural with us when we turn from our sins and we place our trust in Christ. He places us in union with Jesus. He places us, that's the phrase we see in Ephesians all the time, in Christ. We are now his body of his flesh and of his bones. We are united to him in the same way that Adam and Eve were united in the garden. And so, by explaining the commitment Christ made to us when we came to Him in faith, Paul lays down the basis for worthy marriage, which is an unconditional commitment to one another. That is the basis for worthy marriage. 
That is the way God set it up in the garden, which is why Paul now quotes verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Worthy marriage requires the proper kind of commitment to each other. He says, because of this reason, what reason? Well, if you go back in Genesis to the verse before, that's where he says, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. The vow that Adam made, the words Adam spoke in verse 23 is the reason for the commentary in verse 24 that Paul quotes here. Because of what Adam said, the commitment that was made, he says, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall be one flesh. We have spent four weeks studying the roles and responsibilities of husbands and wives and that stuff's important. But our marriage will not be shining for Jesus if we are not unconditionally committed to each other. It's just not going to happen. And so when we look at that commitment, that kind of commitment requires three things that Genesis 2, 24 talks about. Number one, it says, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. The word leave there means to leave behind, to cause a relationship to cease. It's a radical word. Have you ever wondered why we do certain things at weddings today? We do certain things at weddings today because someone sat down and said, well, there's significance to this. So the reason that when you come to a wedding, you're seated on, I know most are not done traditionally these days, so it's not the groom on one side, groom's family and friends on one side and the bride's family and friends on the other side. I don't even know if I got the sides right, but the point is they, they used to be that way. And the idea is usually as you get forward, move further forward in the seating, you're getting less friends, more family members. And then getting more from just extended family to immediate family. And then, of course, the very last person is usually dad's given daughter away and parents are seated on the front row. And the whole significance of that is as the bride is coming down, as the groom comes in, what the symbolism is, what's being said is, my relationship with you changes now. And then as you get more and more forward, it doesn't matter how important that person is to you, Every row you're saying, my relationship with you is different now. My relationship with you is different now. My relationship with you is different now because all my priority is right here. My commitment is here now. I am leaving you in a sense and putting my priority elsewhere. Being unconditionally committed to one another means your spouse must have no rivals in your heart other than the Lord Jesus. All family members and friends and any other prior relationship must radically change. If it used to be guys' night or girls' night, it's not anymore. If, well, I go to my my folks' house and we do this on this day, it's not anymore. You have to decide together what you're going to do. You don't just get to do what you used to do before. You have to leave. You have to cease interacting with those people in the same way that you did before. Because if your parents or your siblings hold a greater love or respect in your heart than your spouse, then your marriage will not only fail to shine, it will very likely fail to last. So you need to decide to radically alter your prior relationships if you're going to have this level of commitment. Secondly, it says, and shall be joined unto his wife. The word joined here, it means, it's very strong. It means to glue to, to glue upon or to stick to. And it describes the most intimate kind of union. Being unconditionally devoted to one another means being on board with what God did when you said, I do. 
When you said, I do, God supernaturally united you together. And when you are deciding to cleave to your spouse, to be joined to your spouse, what you are deciding is, I am all in on what God has done with us. I am all in on this union. There will be no holding back and there'll be no giving up. Now, that means removing the word divorce from your vocabulary. If the word divorce is in your vocabulary and in your communication, you're going to have marriage problems. The word divorce is not a valid form of communication with your spouse. You don't get to just throw the D word out there when things are hard. You don't get to use it as a manipulation tactic. And it can be used in two ways. It can be used as a threat, but it can also be used to try to generate sympathy. Neither way is it to be used. It needs to be off the table and out of your vocabulary. It's not a bargaining chip when you're trying to work out conflict. Not only does being joined to your wife to being glued to her and being stuck to your spouse, not only is it removing that word from your vocabulary, but it means adding phrases like this, I am never going anywhere. I am with you in this. I will never leave you or forsake you because those are the words Jesus uses with us. If you are hedging your bets or trying to even out the scale somehow, I'm not going to do my part unless they do their part, your marriage will not only fail to shine, it will very likely fail to last. And we as Christians cannot afford to do that. The world needs Jesus. So we don't get to treat marriage like they do. We don't get to treat marriage like we created it. We need to go back to the beginning before sin entered the world. We need to go back to the way God set marriage up to be by leaving behind our past relationships and by going all in on our commitment to our spouse. Christians go nuts when the world starts talking about gay marriage or transgenderism and all this kind of stuff. And the world looks at us and goes, yeah, what about what the Bible says about divorce? And we got nothing because we treat it differently. This should not be. If you're a believer, you need to get it out of your vocabulary. You need to be joined to your spouse. Now, I realize we sin and we fail. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Most of us have a past littered with failures and bad choices. And sometimes it's not our choice. I'm grateful that we're saved by grace through faith alone. I'm grateful that even though we have pasts, that God can still use us and can still work in our lives. If that wasn't the case, then it doesn't matter what the issue is, none of us could be used by God and none of us could be saved. But that doesn't change the fact of if you're there now, then don't move in that direction. If you are married right now or you're thinking about getting married, then you need to understand what that entails, which means sticking to your spouse. It means when you say I do, that it's for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. So worthy marriage requires a proper kind of commitment by deciding to radically alter your prior relationships, leaving, deciding to be all in with your spouse, being joined. And then thirdly, it means striving to be what God made you to be. Paul says, and they too shall be one flesh. What's really cool about this is that Paul quotes the text, but in the Hebrew, it has more of a snapshot idea to it, and the two just are one flesh. 
But Paul uses the future tense here. The two shall become one flesh, which I love that because he's describing to us in this whole chapter about how we become one flesh. The idea here is God creates this intimate unity the moment we say, I do. But Paul is saying we need to devote ourselves to becoming what God made us to be, right? We need to devote ourselves to that unity, the idea of working together, the idea of growing together. And the cool part is that when we are growing in that direction, we're becoming what God made us to be, we're becoming more unified, we end up shining something very different to the world about marriage. We end up being children of light. Ephesians 5 verses 7 and 8 tells us, do not be partakers with those who are involved in sexual immorality and all these other wrong approaches to marriage. But instead, he says, for you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord, so walk as children of light. Does that describe your marriage right now? Light. Is your marriage shining something radically different to those around you? Because if the answer is no, then you need to look back at the principles of leaving and being united and being devoted and growing in unity. And then where necessary, you need to repent and recommit yourself to your spouse with nothing held back. Because these truths about marriage are so important to our testimony as Christians. And so that's what Paul concludes with in verses 32 and 33. He says in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The word great here means something that's very important. It means it's something that's on the upper range of importance. Mystery is something that used to be hidden, but now has been revealed. There are a lot of things in the New Testament that were mysteries in the Old Testament. They were there, but they weren't clearly understood. And then there was revelation given in the New Testament about them. In other words, Paul says, if you're a married Christian or a Christian who intends to be married someday, these truths that he's teaching here in Ephesians 5 are a big deal. Like we can't just ignore them and do marriage our way. They're a big deal. But you might be thinking, they're not a mystery though, Pastor Will. These principles of marriage, they're known from the beginning of the scriptures all the way back in Genesis. You're right. So why would Paul call the principles of marriage a mystery? Well, that's his point. He isn't. He says, this is a great mystery, but I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and the church. The mystery is this. Marriage paints a picture of Jesus' relationship to the church. And therefore, our marriages either point to Jesus' intimate relationship with us or our marriages misrepresent his relationship with us. Now, If that is getting your attention, it's because it's supposed to. When Paul says, this is a great mystery, this is a very important truth that's been revealed. It's a very important thing. Our marriages will either point to Jesus' intimate relationship with us or they will misrepresent it. It's meant to get my attention, to get me to see the great intimacy I have with my Lord and the great call I've been given to live a life that's worthy of my relationship with Him. Because it's not just marriage that if I'm not living in a way I'm supposed to, that will misrepresent. But marriage in particular does. You see, when I lose sight of my wonderful, beautiful relationship with Christ, well, all areas of my life begin to suffer and my heart grows cold towards the things of the Lord. But that will happen in our marriages too if we don't understand 
this very important truth. If we lose sight of the fact that our marriage is to reflect the beauty of my relationship with Christ. You see, when I allow my frustrations and my hurts and my disappointments in marriage to fester, when those are the things that dominate my sight instead of understanding the opportunity I have to reflect Christ, well then, not only do I grow cold toward the Lord, I grow cold toward my spouse. And I end up with an approach to marriage that is not worthy of someone who is in Christ. So let's not do that, amen? Yeah, let's not do that. Let's be those who realize the preciousness of our relationship with Jesus and therefore our responsibility to shine it to others through our marriage. Paul says in closing, remember what your marriage relationship represents. And then secondly, in verse 33, he says, remember your individual responsibility. He says, nevertheless, nevertheless here it means even though the real mystery is Christ and the church and our union with Him, I'm not going to dwell on that topic because I'm talking about marriage. So even though that's the biggest deal here is that it's about Christ and our relationship with Him, he goes, Nevertheless, while this greater truth of our union to Christ is here, it does not invalidate the very important truth that husbands and wives need to embrace a worthy view of marriage. So he says, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. Each of you husbands out there must love your wife as yourself. There's no exception. I mean, the language here that is used, let every one of you in particular It's almost like he says, each one of you, and don't think you can get out of this. (laughs) Each one of you, and in particular, whoever you are, this applies to you, is what Paul's saying. It is very common to hear people say, well, you don't understand my situation. You're right. But God says, through the Apostle Paul, that doesn't matter. This is what the Bible says. This is how God set marriage up to be. This is how biblical marriage is done. This is how worthy marriage is done. Husbands, love your wife even as yourself, or literally it means literally as being your very self. Every single husband out there today, you need to love your wife as being your very self. Men, your love for your wife must stem from out of seeing her as part and parcel of yourself. She is not your obstacle. She is not your enemy. She is your flesh and your bones. And so care for her, serve her, lead her, lay down your life for her. And then he says, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Same strong, you must do this. Husbands, you have to do this. Wives, you got to do this. Wives, Reverence your husbands. The word reverence is different than submit. The word speaks of a spontaneous, obedient regard for a superior. Wives, you must embrace your husband's role as the leader in your marriage. You must be willing to come alongside. You must not continue to act like you're single, leading your own life and your family however you think best. You must buy in to this team effort and decide in your heart to fulfill your God-given role, which is to encourage him, to believe in him, to support him, to challenge him to do better, and then to stand by him when he fails. That is what worthy marriage looks like. Amen?
All right. That brings us to the end of our study. So if you're new here, normally I would pray and, and maybe give an exhortation, call the prayer team up. But at this point in time, we decided a while ago that we would do a Q&A. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, Bev's going to come up, and, uh, and we're going to answer some questions that hopefully may be a little bit more specific on maybe some of the things that you might be dealing with in your marriage. So, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for these last five weeks we've been able to spend talking about marriage. And we thank you, Lord. You're the one who made it. You designed it so you know how it's supposed to work. And so, Lord, this morning we submit to your leadership in that, that the head of every family is Christ. So, Lord, you are the one who who guides us. You're the one who tells us how to do this, and we submit to your way. And so, Lord, for anyone here today who might be thinking, oh, Lord, I need to I need to leave. You know, I've got these other relationships that have a a wrong priority in my life or maybe someone that needs to join to their spouse. They need to be all in on the marriage. Or maybe it's someone that they're not working to grow in unity. Lord, in the areas that they're repenting right now, I pray you'd fill them with your spirit and empower them to live out that commitment. Lord, I pray you bless every marriage and that you give insight even now as we, we have some time of question and answer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. So at this point, Beverly's going to come up and provide uh, additional perspective. And let's see what we got here. Oh, cool. We got a bunch more. Yay. All right. You ready? If everybody doesn't know, this is my wife, Beverly, by the way. And if you're new to the church, this is not something we normally do. So normally I teach all the way through. I'm usually much more long-winded than a 25-minute sermon. So, but we wanted to do this because we just felt like it would give some perspective. So uh, we haven't seen these, so we don't know what we're in for right now. All right, you just want to start at the top? Okay. So what does a woman do if her husband is acting like a man of God in every other way but not leading spiritually? That's a great question. Thoughts? So, I have discovered over the years that if my husband is not leading me, leading the family spiritually, usually it's because he feels insecure about it in some way. Um, Sometimes I have communicated expectations that maybe um, have been unreasonable, or maybe when he's initiated being spiritually Leading me spiritually, um, I have not responded in the best way. I think a couple weeks ago you even mentioned about when I had asked you, can we pray? And uh, then you'd come and say, okay, okay we're going to pray now. And I'd be like, right now? Like, this is not a good time. What are you? And then he just, oh, okay, you know. And I know he's, he, he's very confident up here in front of all of you. But, you know, when you, you, your spouse can just take you down notches in an instant, can't they? So I, you know, I discovered I was doing that. So what I did was I just decided to pray about it, give it some time, and then eventually I went to him about the prayer thing specifically, and I said, honey, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm probably never going to ask you this again, but I would really like us to pray every night together. And that was it. I didn't say anything else, and in my heart, I had resolved ahead of time that I would not say anything again, because I had already said it, you know, didn't need to keep harping on it. And he just responded to that well. Now, 
Maybe your husband feels insecure in the word. Maybe he's not confident in that way. Maybe it's just, it's, it's difficult to do that. It might be easier for you as a woman, but for a husband, maybe they're just not feeling confident in it. I would encourage you to throughout the week, ask him questions. What are you praying about? What have you been praying about? What have you been reading in the word lately? Showing an interest that way. And see if that starts to help him come out of his shell a little bit. You'll be surprised. He'll start coming to you eventually. We had uh, a gentleman who um, was, had become a believer after uh, his wife had become a believer. And, and, you know, she was frustrated, of course. He's not leading the family and everything, but he was very not confident at all. And to be honest, not super spiritual at that point in his life. He was a baby Christian. And so she kept coming to me with questions. And I remember Bev said, send her home to her husband. And, uh, and so the, the next time she called, I said, hey, you should ask your husband. She laughed. And, uh, and I said, no, you should. Well, she did it. And I got a phone call the next day from her husband and said, my wife just asked me about this in the Bible. I have no clue how to answer it. It wasn't that he didn't want to lead. He just really didn't know how. And he didn't, wasn't encouraged to do so. And so rather than kind of beating him up with how all the things he doesn't do, is tr- giving him opportunities to step up and to encourage him to do that can frequently be a way to empower your husband, you know, to grow in that area that he, he may be insecure or just not very skilled at it. So, Next one, how can I encourage my husband when he's weighed down from the stresses of work? Massages? <laughs> I'm just kidding, sorry. Really? <laughs> I don't know. Well, <laughs> How do you encourage me when I'm weighed down with stresses from all these crazy people? I try to lessen the stress at home yeah. for you. If I know, I do stay home. I know a lot of, of women work outside of the home as well, so that makes this especially difficult. You know, I do stay home, so I have that, that privilege of, of being there when he arrives and being able to create an atmosphere before he gets there. You know, I try to make sure whatever issues I'm having from the day that I kind of allow him that space to come into the house and put his stuff. He's got this little routine he does when he gets home and he puts his, he comes home, he's got his bag and he puts the bag down and then he takes his keys and he puts them on this side of the desk and then he lays everything out. And then once he's done that, then I go, Hello, how are you? How was your day? You know, um, I try to lessen the stress at home for him and also just realizing there's a lot that maybe I could need or want from him. Um, but if, if it's just particularly stressful at work, um, that's a real thing. It's not like they just come home and just it's gone, it disappears. Um, I try to be mindful. I try to listen, even though, I mean, I may understand some things that go on here. There are some things he doesn't and can't tell me. Um, and understanding that, maybe your husband can't really tell you. But if there, he's talking about things you have no clue about, listen. He needs a sounding board. He needs somebody who loves him and cares about him to listen to him um, and, and not belittle him or try to fix his issues or just say, well, we're not, you know, we can do that sometimes, really just tear them down um, and be understanding of that. Yeah, and as men, just realize, you know, your, your primary ministry, your primary goal, your primary pursuit in life is your spouse. So if work is stressing you out, that's fine, but, but that doesn't give you the right to abdicate your primary responsibility. So you don't get to just come home. You know, there are times I would, like Bev, especially when we had little ones, 
You know, when I would come home, you know, she's like, yay, we can share, you know, the load. Here's the baby. Yeah. And, and you know, I would, I would say, I need 30 minutes of me time, you know. And that was so selfish on my part, you know. And, and I, I, made a, I made a decision to change, um, you know, and say, you know what, Will, when you walk in the door, be ready to minister to your family. And, you know, I've never regretted that. I have had regrets about times when I just did my own thing. But I've never regretted just kind of going and engaging and whatever. Yeah, I'm tired. I might be stressed out, whatever. Just from my, that side of it as a husband, you know, you don't get to just be selfish. You know, you, your wife has needs, your kids have needs. So, you know, it's great to do what, what, what you, you know, Bev explained for a wife. And if you're a wife, listen to that. But if you're a husband, listen to what I'm saying too. So, tag team. Good job. Woo. What are some ways that I can submit to my husband in a biblical way and show him I respect him? Massage. That's no, just a very broad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Massages. Um, that is a very broad question. Um, you start. Well, um, I think when you start. Uh, so, so I would say this. In particular, when there are points of conflict, uh, like for example, we are radically different and we're both very stubborn. So like if I'm in the middle of addressing an issue with one of our kids and she doesn't think I'm handling it the right way, stepping in right in that moment and critiquing me in front of all the kids is probably not gonna generate a productive conversation. It's probably not going to end up with good conflict resolution. On the other hand, you know, after it's done, you know, one of the ways that, that she shows that she trusts me and she wants to follow my leadership is to say, babe, can we talk about that? You know, I know you're trying your best. I know you try to handle that, but I'm concerned about some of the things that you said or how you did it or the way you did it. Can we just discuss that? And so it would immediately, as she's putting me at ease by saying, I'm on your team, she says that all the time. I mean, those words come out of her mouth all the time. I'm not against you. I'm on your team. I'm on your team, I'm with you in this, and I support you in this, but we do need to have a conversation because I have thoughts about this. And if you're a husband, that should stir you up. Like when you're, that should be something. And so I, that's why I would say that's a good way that you can do that. But. Yeah, I think for women, it's difficult sometimes for us to consider our husband in our own ways. We have very specific ways that we like things. We have specific ways we think things should be done. We have ways we think the children should be dealt with because, well, I'm the one that's with them most, so, uh, you know, you're just gonna step in here and try to take over? Who do you think you are? You know, we, we tend to, to think we know better especially in our culture now where basically men are stupid and women are smart, right? So it's confusing sometimes for men even to know, well, is it okay for me to step in here? As a woman, it's important that you consider your husband before you make decisions, before you decide things about the kids, even small things. I learned you know, that, that sometimes I would do something just because I knew it needed to be taken care of and he would come back later and go, I would have liked to have been involved in that decision. And I'm like, well, I just, I, I don't know. It just needed to be done. I didn't know I needed to have a discussion with you about it. But, you know, your husband likes to be. You encourage him and he will trust you more if you involve him in decisions. The more you do that, you'll realize he does have opinions about a lot of things. But sometimes we don't allow them to express it because we think we know better. Uh, and we can be very proud like that. Because um, sometimes we do know. 
You know, as carrying the mental load of your household, what's coming up next in the future, what they, we need toilet paper, they don't know that. They don't know how many rolls there are and where they are, but you do, right? So you're thinking, well, we need this, we need that, okay, and you go through the list and you just get it done without considering. And you find out later, you know, he's like, honey, I do not like the way these couches are set up. I would have liked to have had a conversation about this. And I'm thinking, I mean, it's okay. I didn't even know you, you had an opinion about that. They have opinions about it. So it's important to include them and to give honor to them in that way. You'd want that. You want that for yourself. You don't like it when your husband goes off and makes a big decision or a small decision without you. They're no different. Weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> Do scriptures on marriage apply to committed relationships or only for marriage? Oh, go. <laughs> Sorry, I had a man tell me I needed to submit to him and he was not my husband. No, they do not apply to you if you're not married, but yeah. go ahead. So, so, so certainly there are ideas that are good to have conversations about. Like if you're in a committed relationship with someone and, and you know, you're having discussions about marriage, and so the idea of being sacrificial in your love and your service and things like that, you know, like ladies, I'm just going to be honest with you. I realize it's not popular in our culture, but if like if your dude is sitting in the, in the car on the phone, you know, while you're pumping gas, find a new dude. Okay. All right. Like, like if he's not willing to do that for you, he's not going to lay down his life for other things for you. So, I mean, yeah, there are certain things and I realize you are fully competent, capable and skilled to pump your own gas. All right. That's not the point I'm bringing out. All right. So, um, it's just the idea is, is, you know, you should be looking for some of those things. I'll be honest with you, man. If you, if you're dating a girl and she has no respect for her father, you might not might, you should probably get out of that relationship, you know? Um, and I'm not talking about an abusive father. I'm talking about she just has no respect for her dad and constantly is rebelling against her parents. Like that's something you should probably stay away from. So, I mean, you should be mindful of those ideas and how you interact. But like ladies, if you're in a dating relationship with a guy, you don't need to submit to him. If he says, we need to submit to me, you say, get me a ring, sir. Say I do, and then we can talk. But until then, you don't have to do any of those things. So obviously, if you are engaged and you're getting very close to the wedding, you do need to start interacting a little bit more like that because you're going to start making decisions for like a place to live, finances, things like that. You do need to start working more as a team that way. But no, if you're in a dating relationship, they, they do not apply. So, Yeah, I think you know, it's good practice during dating, but also just be careful, watch the way they behave with their siblings and with their family and see what type of, you know, is this a person who's going to lead me well? You know, is this a person who's going to respect me? Um, all those things you find out by the way they interact with their family. What are some cheap date ideas for a young, broke couple? <laughs> That's a great question. I had somebody in the lobby today tell me the cutest thing they do. They have very limited funds, and they'll go to Target for holidays or anniversaries, things like that. And they'll kind of walk around together, and then they'll go to the card section. They'll peruse the cards, and then they'll pick one for each other and have them read it there. And then they're happy anniversary, and then <laughs> they put it back. 
And I thought, that's really cute. And then he said, too, they'll just read the random cards and they'll go there. They're like, it's a free laugh and we just enjoy. And we didn't waste $20 on a card that's going to go in the trash. So I thought that was really cute. I don't throw out any cards. I know. I know you don't. He's, he doesn't throw away any cards. No. We were that young, broke couple for a long time. And um, we... I think it was, I don't know, like our sixth or seventh anniversary, we had like $13 to our name or $11 to our name. And uh, we just went to, Albertsons was still open at the time, dating ourselves. Went to Albertsons and we picked out like uh, something we wanted to eat for 13 bucks. And, uh, and then we, we had a blanket and we went down to Cranger's Park where we got engaged. And, uh, and we just sat and we ate together and talked for like two hours. So, I mean... I would say it's the quality of the time and not how much money, quantity of money you spend. Um, sometimes that means you do a date night in the house. Um, I mentioned this in first service, and, but years ago, you can talk to my, my brother Chris. Um, uh, he and his wife had a blog that he did, and it's called Date Night Duo. I don't even know if it's still up, so it might not come up when you search for it. But if you ask him about it, he had like weeks of like where the things they would do and usually it'd be staying in where they would cook and they would get dressed up nice or have a theme or something like that you just if you don't have money you just need to be a little bit more creative um and sometimes a lot more creative but the idea is either way it's time and and to be honest when we discuss our anniversaries we've had a lot of special anniversaries and a lot of fun, fun things but that's the one we usually talk about the most um is the one where we were at crane's roost so because we had nothing and it was very special. So. It's important that you make time for each other no matter what. Um, uh, we, you know, we, we put the kids to bed. We, we put them to bed. It is, it, okay, so we put the kids to bed at 8.30. My older ones, that's a little different story. I'm not going to put the 18-year-old to bed uh, at 8.30. But, you know, that time after that is time for Will and I. We spend time together when the kids are in bed. You know, whatever that might be. It's not like, oh, the kids are in bed. Oh, I'm going to go do something by myself. It's that we, we do things together. We kind of have that every night, yeah. you know, that time. So as we don't necessarily feel that... Uh, pressure of a date night, which we love to do, but then we also, you know, we are spending time together. That's really the most important thing, is that you are making time to communicate and spend time as a couple just by yourselves. And I will say that if that is a struggle because of finances and because of time, then you might need a more fixed schedule, like a date night or a date time. Uh, because if it is a challenge where it doesn't, you know, you're not having it a little bit more organically um, in just life, then you need to, you need to schedule it. And I, and I realize that it may not feel, oh, I didn't bring the monkey today. I was going to bring the monkey. Anyway, it may, it, may, it may not feel very romantic, but like we had a thing when we had little ones and, uh, and Beverly gave me a little card that basically said, hey, anytime you want a monkey around, just put this on the desk. And, um, and the, you know, uh, everybody's blushing now. So, I mean, you're all married. You know what happens. I've given so, some of you wives those monkeys. Yes. So, so. so the idea is, is um, you know, sometimes you, that may not sound super romantic, but you need to plan things out and you need to schedule things if it's not happening. If it's not happening organically, then you need to make it happen. And the commitment is when you see the monkey, there's... That's it. Like, you know, we made an agreement that this is how it be. So you could know that that night was going to be for you, you and you, each for each other. Yep. Yep. 
Uh, what is the Bible's view on remarriage after divorce? So that's not something I can answer in a, like a Q&A. That's a, like a, we need to go through Mark 10 or Matthew 19. I, I guess I would reference you to say, uh, listen to my teaching on Luke 16. I have done that. First um, Corinthians 7, I taught on that um, in our study there. I haven't done Mark or Matthew here yet. Uh, but I would say, man, I just can't really answer that in this type of a setting. If you want to see me afterwards, you have a specific question about that, I'll be happy to answer that. But it's just too, it's too big of a topic to answer in a, a Q&A like this. Uh, I, I would say that if you want to know the answers to those things, you need to read Mark 10, Matthew 19, Luke 16, 1 Corinthians 7. Okay? And the Bible lays out very clearly what those principles are. You also need to read Genesis 2. Don't go read Deuteronomy 24. Yes, Deuteronomy 24 talks about divorce, but that was a civil law for Israel. And just like we don't have cities of refuge anymore, we don't abide by Matthew 24. That's not, a biblical, that's not how we as Christians apply the concept of divorce or remarriage to our lives. We need to read Matthew 19, Mark 10, 1 Corinthians 7, Luke 16, so, and Genesis 2. How do I reach or help a spouse that hasn't been leading us spiritually even when I have already communicated that with him and he says he is aware? So, I know a couple times what Bev has done for me, maybe not in this specific topic, but when we've talked about things and I'm aware, I communicate that I'm aware I need to do better and I'm not changing, is that sometimes she has brought in some extra heavy. Um, She may have made a phone call to someone she knows I respect and uh, said, Will's struggling, and, uh, and then they would talk to me. I would challenge you, like if you have spoken to your husband about this, and he says, I'm aware I need to do better, but nothing's changing, then you, know, you, you need to go get someone he respects and say, can you please talk to him about this? He's confessed that this is a problem, and you know, he's, he needs to grow in that, but he's not. Can you come and encourage him and exhort him uh, to do that? Um, I would say for me, a lot of times when I've had someone else that I respect speak into my life, um, it really gets my attention. Turn to the passage. Which passage? First Peter? Oh, okay. Oh. It's not my Bible, so <laughs> I'm not finding it. It's not in the right spot. The Word tells a woman what to do if their husband is not being obedient. Okay. And it's right here, um, 1 Peter 3. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, so we're not talking about an unbelieving husband, we're talking about a husband who's being disobedient, that they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wife when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So if your husband is not being obedient, the answer is not like you said, whoever this was, you know, I've already asked. He already knows and says he's aware. So he's aware. He knows this. He's well aware of it. Now what you do is you win them by your conduct. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the times when William has responded the best is not, are not the times when I've harped on him or reminded him or hinted at him. It's when I've just con- continued to shower him with love and affection and kindness, even more so. You know, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Sometimes I'll even tell, well, are you overcoming evil with good right now? Because sometimes he'll be extra nice to me when I'm not being very nice. And I'm like, this is, you're just trying to overcome evil. You know, yes, I am. Yes, I am. (laughs) 
But we, we, we win them over in that way. You know, eventually what will happen is if your husband is someone who loves the Lord and they're aware of their shortcoming, eventually what happens is they begin to soften as they see your kindness toward them. So I would just encourage you, you know, we don't need words to do that. Words very seldom sway my husband, um, but my conduct does. Yep. I will say the times that I've been the most convicted is when I know I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm aware, and she's not harping on me about it, and she's just walking with the Lord and just being a faithful wife, and the Lord will just get me, and he's just like, what is your deal, Will? Like, Let the Lord get him. <laughs> but that's what happens. The Lord's like, what is your deal? Like, look at your bride. Like, she's walking with me, and she's being obedient, and you're just wanting to let the world burn, you know? Let the world just do whatever happens and not fulfill your responsibilities. And it is really hard for me to just get away with that. Like the heavy hand, like David talks about the heavy hand of God that was on his life. And the heavy hand of God is on me because I'm not being obedient to him. And my wife is. It like, it's just hard. Like I, I can't get away from it. And eventually I break and, and, I, and I start doing something about changing my behavior. So seldom though, if she's like, on me about something. We two are probably two of the most stubborn people that exist. So like, if you, like, we're both individually the type of people that if you, we don't like conflict, we don't like to fight, but if you back us in a corner, we're going to come out swinging. And so the problem is, is that, you know, we back each other into a corner and we're just swinging at each other. So like when we first got married, we scrapped quite a bit, you know, not physically, but, you know, we scrapped quite a bit, you know, verbally. So, well, you hit me, but, you know. Yes, he's right here too, like right where he knocks the wind out of you, you know, because of her height, just like, you know, yeah, see, it's like, that hurts. So anyway, um, you know, we, we scrapped, you know, early on. Now it's more just like this, like firecrackers goes, you know, and and then we kind of laugh and like, I'm sorry, I'm being ridiculous. Even the kids laugh now. They're like, oh, you guys. Yeah, but we don't but we used to scrap really hard. Uh, those moments, the times when she was really frustrated with me because of me not doing what I was supposed to do, communicating, verbalizing that nonstop never motivated me to change. You know? and in fact, it gave me a reason to fight. Um, in contrast, though, you know, the love and, and the care and the support that she, and then just walking with Jesus through it, her conduct would just be, the, be like the hammer of God, man. And just, I couldn't get away from it. So. Hammer of God is better than my hammer. Yes. You know, and sometimes you just have to reason. Some things, some things in marriage, if you've been married longer than 10, 15 years, you know, some things just don't change. You know, and, and, and you have to make peace with that in your heart and just say, I am going to love this person that God has put in my life. They're a sinner just like I am, and there are lots of things that I will probably just always do. And for whatever reason, the Lord has chosen to use that to sanctify my very patient, loving, kind husband uh, to love me through those things that I, that I continue to do. But, you know, he does the same. And some of those things, you just have to go, okay, you know, Lord, uh, help me to know how best to love them and help them. That's our job, right? We're helping each other on our way to heaven. And so, you know, if you've got these things that keep coming up and you keep communicating and it's just not changing... It's one of those pick your battles thing. The first service had a pick your battles question. And I, absolutely, you have to sometimes just pick. And you know, I'm not going to fight over this anymore. This battle is done. 
leaving it to the Lord and just going to appreciate the person I have in front of me. Mm. And Beverly is an amazing woman. She's a great homemaker, a great uh, mom. Um, but her, what? I don't know what you're going to say now. Go ahead. <laughs> but, <laughs> but her idea of homekeeping is very different than mine. And, and uh, she does fine, I'm just saying, but the way I would approach it would be radically different. And so early on, I would get extremely frustrated and, and just mad, you know? I'd be like, why can't you, you know, is it that hard? You know, you take the sour cream out, you put it on the burrito, you know, is it that hard to put the cap back on and put it back in the fridge? Now it's been sitting out here for three hours, now it's warm, now it might go bad. We spent money on that, we don't have any money, that's why we can't go on dates. You know, why not just do this? And you know, you got all these thoughts running through your head while I'm putting the cap on the sour cream, and open the fridge, put it in there, see something else in the fridge that's not, you know, appropriately placed or whatever, you know? That's one way you can handle that. You can look at it and go, this is an amazing woman who maybe she's completely unreasonable on how she handles those things. Um, Because any reasonable person would use the sour cream, then put the cap on and put it away and not just leave it out. Um, That's one way to approach it. Or another way to approach it is this. She takes the sour cream out and I put the sour cream away. We're a team. Seriously. I, I came into the kitchen the other day and I was like, hey, can you help with stuff? And I'm not a good help at the kitchen because I don't know anything. You know, I can open jars. I'm good for that. You know, I, I'm good for chopping up stuff, but like, I'm not going to help like, hey, put a little bit more of this in there. She's very skilled at that. I'm, as you can see, very well fed. And, you know, she, she's awesome. So I look at this though, so I can be there and we can talk. And I, so she'll bring out the burritos and, you know, and undo the thing and whatever, and then I can zip it back up and put it back in the pantry. You know, she can take the cheese out and sprinkle on everything, and I can zip it back up and put it in the, in the fridge. I even made the comment, I'm like, you make the mess, and I clean the mess, you know? There's nothing wrong I'm with that. I'm perfectly happy with that. Nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. So the idea of pick your battles or, you know, what, what are you going to do? Just be miserable your whole life because she has a different way of approaching these things than you do? Or he has a different way of approaching these things than you do? Well, if you didn't, you didn't want to engage with someone who did things a little different than you do, then you shouldn't have gotten married. So you decided to say I do to someone who's not you. So you can, for lack of a better term, be a narcissist and just think it's all about you. Or you can decide to embrace the differences that you have together and to serve one another and be a team. So, and we're still working on that, of course. We're not there, but better. A lot better. Yeah. How do you leave work at the door while still not keeping things bottled up? We're pretty open, so I don't know if that's... I mean, like Bev mentioned earlier, like I don't get to share... I don't share everything that goes on here. I have private counseling meetings with people, and those we never talk about that. By the way, if you ever think you told me and she'll know... That, that doesn't or happen. vice versa. I don't tell People them. often be like, yeah, you know, you probably know about this. And Bev goes, I don't have a clue. Will doesn't tell me. Uh, if it happens in that office and she's not there, I don't tell her. So um, there are things I can't talk about. But we don't really bottle. We're not good at bottling up. We, we're very open. So uh, We're we, like explosives all the time. So. <laughs> There's truth there. But I realize that, um, that everybody's not like us. So I would say I think... I would encourage you to encourage your spouse to share and don't be frustrated by that. Um, 
Like there are times Bev, you know, she's with the kids all day and we still have young ones. And if you have young ones, you know, sometimes you can feel like you want to pull your hair out at times with just stuff that they do. You know, I'll get a text sometimes and I'm like, they did what? You know? Um, and, and that can be frustrating. And I can come home and be like, I just worked all day and I dealt with other people's frustrating problems. I don't want to deal with you. I don't have that mindset, but I, I'm, I mean, I guess I could have that mindset. But that's part of marriage is hearing your other person. Sometimes Bev is not looking to me to share something because she wants me to tell her how to fix it or tell her how to do better or even to go deal with the kids. Sometimes it's just because you love somebody and you can't really talk to anybody else about that. And this is the person you can talk to about it. And I would say don't be discouraged by that or overwhelmed. Um, The Bible talks about bearing one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So if we do that for each other, surely we can do that for our spouse. Yeah, you're a team. Just because one of you, you know, maybe you don't work at the same place doesn't mean you're still, you're not still a team. So no one should feel like they have to come home and leave work at the door. I'm not saying bring work home and make, make, you know, your day all about work, but you should be able to feel free to come home, you know, listen to your spouse when they need to unload. And, you know, even if you don't understand half the things they're talking about, because maybe you're not a computer scientist and you don't have a clue what the words are, they're saying mean, um, you know, listen, it means a lot. They need, you're a team. You, you are supposed to share the load with each other no matter what it is. You know, William, so many times, I'll, he'll come home and I'll say, oh, you know, all the things that went on. And I'll go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for complaining. And he'll just say, why? We are in this together. This is our family. You know, and it's so comforting to me for that. And then, you know what? I find myself complaining less because I know I'm not alone, you know? Yeah. I think it's good to share life together. Like, I want, I, I mentioned this, I think, last week, but, like, I think men in particular, when it comes to this stuff, like, you need to, you need to be willing to say, I'm right where I want to be when you're with your spouse. Like, I, 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 when I'm sitting with her and she's you know, just pouring out her heart, I'm Rather than think, well, I'd rather be over here. If I, this is right where I want to be, well, then you're good, right? So I think these two were 11 as well. Are we out of time? All right, we should probably stop then. All right, let's all, let's all stand. If we didn't answer your question, it's because it wasn't listed as 11. So it might have been listed at nine. So you can come back and, and uh, talk to me or Bev individually. And we'll be happy to do our best to answer that. So. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come on up now. So if you have a need, these folks would love to pray with you. But otherwise, be blessed. Walk with Jesus in your marriage. Apply the word of God to your lives. If you have a question, come see either of us. We'll be happy to talk to you for a bit. But have a great afternoon and then come back at 6.30 night. We'll be in First Kings. If you have kids in children's ministry, go get them right now. God bless you.